Parsha Shemois, Bor Hashem, Sefer Shemois, Parsha Shemois, a, a Parsha that is completely packed with so many incredible Inyonim, and it's been a while since we did a Parsha Shem. So I figure we're going to talk about today, Be'ez Hashem, one of the Yusaydeh, Yusaydehs of life in general. And we start with the beginning of Perik Base. Shemois Perik Base. So there's a Gemara in Saita. We're learning Saita now in Yeshiva. So I'm assuming the Oilam are familiar with this Gemara. Let's expound a little bit and understand what the Gemara is telling us. The Gemara in Saita Dafyud Base explains we're talking about Amram. Amram picked himself up and he went. Where did he go? But Yikach is Bas Levi. I don't understand. Where is he going? Who is he marrying? Is he already married to Yechaved? Well, what's going on over here? So the Gemara tells us like this. He went with the advice of his daughter. Tana. Amram Godl Hador Haya. Amram was the Godl Hador. Rashi explains everybody listened to Amram. When Amron said something, when Amron did something, the Oilam listened. He was the God of Ladar. Right? That's how it is. Dastoyer says something, we listen. Oh, no, but there's another rabbi, and he said differently, and maybe he never said it, and maybe the video was edited, maybe it wasn't shot, maybe he didn't mean it, maybe they told him it in a way that they forced him into it. No, no, no. The Gemara says he was the God of Hadar, Zugurashi, and therefore everyone listened. That was how it was. Pre-corona days, people had Das Torah, you listen to the God of Lador, and that's it. Right? Things are slightly fuzzled out a little bit. But anyway, let's continue. Says the Gemara, he was the God of Lador. Now we're all familiar with Paray's Xerah. Paray made Xerah, we know this from the Chumash, we know this also from Pesach. Paray made Xerah to throw all of the male babies, any male baby that was born, throw him out, kill him. Get rid of him. Why? We all know famously that he knew that the savior of a Kalali's straw would come from a male and therefore he didn't know who it was going to be. Just get rid of all the males. And that was the Xera that Paro made. So what happened? So Amram gets up and he says, what's going on over here? We're all busy making families. We're busy bringing children into the world, future generations. For what? What's the point? Paro is just going to take all the males, throw them in the bin, throw them in the Nile. They're dead, they're finished. What are, we, what, what are we doing all this for? That's what Amram said at that time. We're being Omar, we're busy for nothing. What are we doing this for? What's the purpose, said Amram, of this? He got up and he divorced his wife. What's the point? There's no point, there's no point bringing any more children into the world. Now, Amram was the God Lador. When the God Lador does something, everybody listens. So they saw Amram get up and divorce his wife. They said, we're going to do the same thing. Everybody got up and divorced their wives. That's it. No more children in the world. It's over. We're not going to take this Xavier from Paro lightly. We're going to act upon. They got divorced. Comes along Amram's daughter. And she says, Pa, there's a bit of a problem over here. What's the problem? And she said two things. She said, Abba, Kosha Xeroscha Yosem Michel Paroi. Your Zayr is worse than Paray. Why? And she said two things. Listen carefully. She said, number one, Paray, 
only was Geyser on the males and not the females. And your Geyser on the males and the females. Because there's no more children going to be born in the world. Number two, she said, your Paro was Geyser on Oilam Hazet. And you were Geyser on Oilam Abon. And Oilam Hazet. Oilam Hazet and Oilam Abon. What's Pshat? That was what's going on over here. Now, Rabbi Isai, we can all understand. We can all understand the first Taida. We can all understand that Parai's Zera was lighter than Amram's, her father. Why? Because Parai was Geyser on only the males, and he was Geyser on males and females. Yeah? But what's the second part? What does it mean, the second part, that Parai was Geyser on Olam Hazer, and you were Geyser on Olam Hazer and Olam Habo? What's Pshat? Says Rashi. A Gavaldagi Rashi says, Amodagi Yisoid over here, and Rashi answers over here, and he says, because you have to understand, if Parai, his Gzeira was kept, the males would have been born, but they would have died a short while later. They at least would have got Olam Haba, because they would have been reborn in the next world. Once they were born in this world, then they would die, and then they would be reborn in Olam Abba. But once you made Xera on everyone, on males and females, so there's no Olam and there's no Olam Abba. That, says Rashi, is the Pshat. Because you were Geyser on both the males and the females, you were Geyser on Olam and Olam Abba. Para was only Geyser on Olam They can't live in this world. They died. But in the next world, they live. So Rashi... Because when they live in this world, they will then die. But because they were born, therefore, they're going to actually be able to have Olam Abba. And the question is, what, what, what does this mean? What does this mean? We're talking about a baby. We're talking about a baby that's born for maybe a few hours. And that baby is going to get Olam Abba. What does that mean? What Olam Abba? What did the baby do to get Olam Abba? Okay, that's the Shaila. So, Ramosha Weinberger-Schlita quotes one of the biggest Bali Musa, Reb Chaim Zaitchik of Nevadik, and he brings in a Sefer Arachodosh HaGabaldiga Pshat. And the Pshat is like this. This is an amazing idea, which if you understand what we're saying, can literally change the way a person acts in his life. And he explains that the very existence of a baby in this world, the very fact that a baby was born in this world, and breathe the air of free choice and free will and the ability to choose, even though the baby couldn't choose. But the very fact that the baby came down into the world and was able to breathe the air of free will and free choice, that is the tachlis, and that is something that can give the baby olam haba, even though the baby doesn't choose anything. A one-day-old baby it's worth bringing down into the world just to be able to be in the world for a few hours. And then obviously had to die because Parah made the Gzera. But just to be in the world. Therefore, Amram's daughter was saying, what you're doing is worse. Because you're getting divorced and you're saying, no children, no one's going to be brought into the world. Parah said, you know what? Have the child. We'll kill him in a few minutes. 
That, she said, was better. Because the very fact that he's in the world, the very fact that he's in down in this world, even if it's for just a few moments, can make all the difference. And he can have Olim Haba, as Rashi brings down in Saita base. The Olim Haba that a baby can have just from being on the world for just a few minutes. If this is the schar for a baby, being on the world for just a few moments, and it's worth to come down to the world for a few moments, Al-Achas Kamav Kamav a billion times over. Every single one of us, we're down in this world, and we're not just here for a few hours, Baruch Hashem. We're here for Baruch Hashem and Amit Hashem many, many years. Years of Torah, years of Chesed, years of doing the mitzvahs. Can you imagine? If this is what a baby is getting for being in the world for just a few hours. Can you imagine what we're going to get from being on this world for years and years with an opportunity of doing Torah and doing mitzvahs? There's a Gemara in Avodah Zorah. The Gemara in Zorah, if you tells us, There are certain people that can koina their entire world in the next world, in one moment in this world. And there are certain people that can corner it, that acquire it in many, many years. And the question is, the choice is ours. The choice is ours. What we do with the life that we were given. The moments that we're on this world are moments of opportunity. Moments that we can about. There's an amazing Gemara. Gemara in Brochus Taftalat. The Gemara tells us like this. Says the Gemara, Omer of Yechanan, Ezu ben Oilam Haba. Who is a ben Oilam Haba? Who's somebody that's going to be Roy to get Oilam Haba? Says the Gemara, something which sounds to be very, very simple. Says the Gemara, That means if you daven Shmona Esra right after Krishna, boom, you're a ben Oilam Haba. An amazing thing. Such a simple idea. Because you do that, you're a ben Oilam Haba. That's unbelievable. Zugurashi brings a Yerushalmi where the Yerushalmi explains that if a person is not Soymech Ka'ula Letfila he's Doimer to a king's friend a dear friend to the king who comes to knock on the king's door and he knocks and he knocks on the king's door and after a few moments nobody answers the guy leaves and the king opens the door nobody's there so the king closes the door and the king goes away so too a person has the opportunity after being Meshabeach, the Rabbani Shalom of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and doing so much, you now can do Shmanesra, straight away, Chaparayin, ask for whatever you want. And you go away, you're not Soymech Ka'ula Letfila, you lost out on your opportunity. Rabbi Say, how long is the break between one and the other? A few moments. And those few moments determine if you're a Ben Oilam Haba. If you're going to use those small, tiny moments. Zuckerman Volba, what does this teach us? This teaches us such a yisoid. You're a ben oilam abo. If all you have to do is summer ka'ula letzvila. That's it? So cheap? So easy? Zuckerman Volba, that's the yisoid of a moment. The yisoid of a moment is every moment that we are alive. Every moment that we have the ability to choose. Every moment that we have the ability to do another mitzvah, to learn more Torah, to do a chesed, is an opportunity of a lifetime, and it can change lives. Rav Palm Zatzal 
was a koyin. So he was never able to go and really do the mitzvah in a hospital. So in one particular case, he heard there was a yid in the hospital who was a, a very big Talmud of his. So he actually wrote a letter. He sat down and he wrote a handwritten letter. He didn't know this Talmud, but he knew this person learned to swear and listen to Shurim, and he wanted to mechazek him. So he wrote a letter. When this person got the letter from Rapam, he was so excited. Ah, Rapam sent me a handwritten letter. He put it under his pillow. Every visitor that came into the hospital, he showed him, look, Rapam wrote me a letter. He was so excited. Unfortunately, he didn't make it, and he was nifter a few weeks later. And one of his Rabbonim got up by the Leviah, and they said that this Yid was a Yid that had so much shaykhs to tzaddikim. Rapam wrote him a letter and he was so excited about it. It meant so much to him that he showed it to every visitor. And the word got back to Rapam. And they said, Rebbe, did you know that the letter you wrote made, meant so much to this Yid? And Rapam said, I had no idea. And what you're telling me, you know, thank you so much. I appreciate it. But it also scares me a lot. Why does it scare me? It scares me because how long did that letter take me? took me about three minutes to write and those three minutes changed somebody's life for weeks and weeks we can spend a few moments in this world and we have opportunities to build other people to build ourselves to build our futures but we just have to use the time that we have there was an elderly man who was recounting his experiences in the concentration camps and we can only we can only picture a little bit of what these people went through and what the horrors that they saw. And there's one particular part time that he said he can never forget. Because all the Yidden over there were tricked onto going onto the trains without knowing what the final destination was. They had no idea where they were going. They were told to pack a few bits and pieces, put in a suitcase and go on the train. And they assumed it was for their good. If you assume that their possessions would be there, little did they know they were being tricked into it, that the Nazis in Makshimon were trying to get them to take their best and most expensive possessions with them so that they could steal it. And this Yid was saying over that he remembers walking into the corner of the room after they had come off the train when everyone had come to the realization that their possessions are no longer theirs and everything's going to the Nazis. And this Yid was one of the wealthiest bankers in his town. He owned a bank. And right before he left, he made sure to stuff the suitcase with thousands and thousands of dollars in cash. And that was worth a lot of money. When he realized that his money was no longer going to be his and the Nazis were just going to take it, he sat in the corner ripping up every dollar bill into millions of shreds. I'm not having them take my money. And this Yid said to see such a thing of somebody that was Mahshiv who understood money. It meant so much to him. He'd worked so hard for it. It was his whole life. And ripping it into tiny shreds. It puts life into perspective. When we realize that every moment that we're alive, every moment that we can accomplish, there is so much more that we can do. In just a few days, there's going to be a little bit of a celebration around the world for what they call in the outside world, the New Year's. Just a few more days, this New Year's party. And some people celebrate in different ways. There's this crystal ball that has to come down. And everybody has a countdown. And it's very exciting. And everybody has to drink. And you have to get drunk. And the horror makes no sense. Because if a person is celebrating a New Year, why is he being drunk? Why is he trying to 
get rid of his emotions and drink his sorrows away. If it's a new year, he should want to savor every moment. So Ratwaski Zatzal once said, he said, because all of these people, what they're doing is on the new years, they're also remembering the year that was, the year that passed, and the opportunities that they lost, and the time that they missed. And therefore that they want to drink away. A Yid understands differently. A Yid celebrates differently. A Yid understands that every moment he's on this world is an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to build. It's an opportunity to shite. That's what it is. And then he ends Rabbi Yisai with two Gavaldiga Maises. One of them being a famous Maisa in the time of the Heiliger Chovetz Chaim when the Rosh Hashiva Radin at the time was the Granat and the granite was one of the Gedolei Olam. Mamish Kol HaToyrekul and his fingertips. All the Talmudim were desperate to hear and drink up every one of his words. And then the word spread that the granite became ill. And it was a devastating blow to the Talmudim. The Rebbe became ill. Terrible thing. What are we going to do? And he became weaker and he became weaker. And the Olam were organizing Tehillim groups. They were trying to do whatever they could for the Rebbe. And someone came up with an idea. And the idea was... We're going to donate time from our lives to the Rebbe's life. We're going to donate from our own lives. We're going to give up our time for our Rebbe. We're going to minus time from our life and we'll give it to the Rebbe. And they went around the big Medrash and they asked each Talmud, how much time are you giving from your life to the Rebbe? And each one said, this one said a week, this one said ten days, this one said four days, and they accumulated together. With the whole yeshiva, five years. On the Talmudian's times, the days, they took it away and they wanted to give it to the Rebbe, to the Granat. And they figured the final destination of requests, they're going to go to the Heilig Tzadik, the Chofetz Chaim. And they're going to ask him, how much time is he going to give? And they come into the Chofetz Chaim's room, he was already an older man, the Tzadik Hador, the Godel Hador. And they told the Rebbe the situation. He knew obviously how bad it was. And they said, Rebbe, we came up with an idea. We're donating our time to give over from our life. But my Senevish to our Rebbe. Rebbe, how much time are you giving? How much time are you giving to the Granat? Nobody understood the Granat better than the Chovetz Chaim. Nobody was more giving than the Chovetz Chaim. Nobody is more kind than the Chovetz Chaim. The Chovetz Chaim started to think deeply before he answered the question. And after a few minutes of intense waiting, he told the Talmudim, he said, okay, okay. Only because he's the Granat and he's the God of Ladar and the Tzadik Adar and therefore we want him to live longer. I'm willing to give one minute of my time to the Granat. The Talmudim was, they were shocked. We're giving days and weeks, one minute. And they walked away. Obviously they accepted what the Chovetz Chaim said. But they walked away with a new appreciation of a minute. There was no one who understood time more than the Chovetz Chaim. And the Chovetz Chaim was willing to give up just one minute of his life to his Rebbe the Granat. And that's an incredible idea. When the minutes that we have in our lives are very, very precious. And let me end with one last Gavaldiga Maisa. There was a Yid in Atlanta, Georgia that was in a car crash. And his car was completely smashed up like an accordion and he was in the middle of it. They managed to finally get him out of this terrible car crash and they brought him to the hospital and he wasn't doing well 
He had a punctured lung. He had a fractured skull. His hands were broken. His legs were broken. His brain, Baruch Hashem, was good. But he was, he was a mess. And obviously they brought him straight to surgery. And they were busy. And there was an emergency. And they did whatever they could. And a couple of days later, the doctors decided to have an ethical meeting. What are we going to do with this boy? It's a 19-year-old boy. He's got the whole life ahead of him. But what type of life is he going to have? So each doctor got up and said his little advice. One doctor got up and said, listen, what type of life is he going to have? He's going to be in crutches. He's going to be in a wheelchair. He's not going to be able to get married. He's never going to be able to walk again. And the other one got up and said, listen, it's going to need thousands and thousands of dollars of therapy. And it's, it's just, it's not worth it. And their suggestion was, give him some painkillers and just basically wait until his life ends. And there was one from doctor, Dr. Freed, who was there at the time. And he was the only from doctor on the panel of doctors. And then he got up and he says, excuse me doctors, it's all very nice of you to paskin on his life because you think what type of quality of life does he have? But you know what? I want to go around the room and see what quality of life you have. So he went around the room and he asked each doctor, tell me your quality of life. Scale between 1 and 10. What's your quality of life? So the first doctor was a little bit stunned by the question, but he had no choice to answer. And he said, well, I just got divorced and my kids don't want to see me ever again. So I don't have a really good life. I probably have like a number 6. And the other doctor got up and he said, well, listen, I have a Nebuchadnezzar child. My life is terrible. It's a shambles. It's probably a number 7 at best. And he went around from doctor to doctor and he didn't find a single doctor in the room that could say their quality of life was more than a maximum number 7. He said, okay, let's go to the patient. The patient was in a bad state, but his brain was fine. He was able to think. And they said, tell me. They communicated with him, and he was able to, with his hands, be able to communicate back. And they said, tell me something. On a scale of 1 to 10, imagine all the doctors were around there listening to this. What is your, what is your life looking like? What's your value? What does it look like? How far? How good? And he said, number 10. And they said, what? What type of life is this? You're hooked up to machines, you can't breathe, you can't move, you can't do anything. You have a quality of life of 10, doesn't make any sense. And you know what he answered? He said, yes, but I'm alive. I'm alive. After everything that happened to me, I am alive. Rabbi Sai, this week's parasha teaches us the aside of every moment of life. Every moment of life is another opportunity to grow, to get closer to Hashem. To do mitzvahs, to learn Torah, to do chesed, whatever we can do, take every moment that we have, and the Ezra Hashem, the Rabbi Nishlam, will give us the best quality and oil in at the end. Bye.